Glad to welcome you here to By Grace this morning. If you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to open them up to the book of 2 Samuel. We're going to continue our study going verse by verse through this book. We're going to pick up where we left off last week in 2 Samuel chapter 17, verse 14. This is God's word. May all of us hear it and receive it by faith. And Absalom and all the men of Israel said, the counsel of Hushai, the archite, is better than the counsel of Ahithophel. For Yahweh had ordained to defeat the good counsel of Ahithophel so that Yahweh might bring harm upon Absalom. Then Hushai said to Zadok and Abiathar, the priests, Thus and so did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel, and thus and so have I counseled. Now therefore send quickly and tell David, do not stay tonight at the fords of the wilderness, but by all means pass over, lest the king and all the people who are with him be swallowed up. Now Jonathan and Ahmaz were waiting at Enrogel. A female servant was to go and tell them, and they were to go and tell King David, for they were not to be seen entering the city. But a young man saw them and told Absalom. So both of them went away quickly and came to the house of a man at Barium, who had a well in his courtyard. Baharim, excuse me. And they went down into it. And the woman took and spread a covering over the well's mouth and scattered grain on it, and nothing was known of it. When Absalom's servants came to the woman at the house, they said, where are Ahimaaz and Jonathan? And the woman said to them, they have gone over the brook of water. And when they had sought and could not find them, they returned to Jerusalem. After they had gone, The men came up out of the well and went and told King David. They said to David, Arise and go quickly over the water. For thus and so has Ahithophel counseled against you. Then David arose and all the people who were with him and they crossed the Jordan by daybreak. Not one was left who had not crossed the Jordan. When Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not followed, He saddled his donkey, went off home to his own city. He set his house in order and hanged himself. And he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. Please pray with me. Our Heavenly Father, we gather here this morning singing songs of praise and adoration to you. And you are so worthy of them. Lord, we also come laying our desires at your feet, asking for your infinite wisdom to come to bear on the tiny speck of circumstances in our lives. Lord, we ask that in this time you would meet with us, bring comfort to the wounded and weary, bring strength to those whose exhaustion supersedes their will to move and do. And Father, come and give us a glimpse of your sovereign hand. Give us a tiny vision of the promise of your protection and goodness towards us. 
Come, O God, speak and encourage your people this morning, we ask, in the name of our Redeemer, Jesus Christ, and all God's people agree. Amen. Amen. Can you keep a secret? I have a secret. Can you keep a secret? Me too. You remember a time when you were a kid where you had a secret and it was burning you up inside? You remember a time in your life where you desperately desired to squeak out a little bit of information that you were privy to, but that you weren't supposed to? Have you ever been the one in whom lots of people confide? Have you ever been the one person in someone's life, maybe the only person in their life, that they tell their secrets to? I want to talk a little bit this morning about secrets as we enter back into this wonderful story of God's provision. So do you have secrets Do you remember having secrets? I think there are essentially three types of secrets. I think there are sweet secrets, like the ones that you know you're planning a birthday party and the person doesn't know, and all their loved ones and friends keep a secret for a short time in order to bring joy and fun into the life of someone you love. I think we have sweet secrets. I also think we have essential secrets. I think there are the kind of secrets that establish borders and protections. I'm not offended to hear that our government might have top secret files. Are you? Is there a type of information that only they should know? Yeah. Those are essential secrets. I think also parents have essential secrets from children. Things that the parents know because of their maturity can handle. Some of those are great stories of the history of your family or people you know and love. Some of them are essential for a season. And the third category of secrets are the toxic ones. The ones that divide families the ones rooted in jealousy or gossip, the kind of secrets that destroy relationships in their keeping and or in their revealing. A father who tells his son not to tell his mother thus and so. Some of them are sweet. Some of them are essential. And some of them are toxic. As we come to the text today, we left off last week with insider info. Do you remember this? The narrator of the story, the author of this fabulous book, is giving us, the reader, us, the hearer, secret information that the, that the characters in the story don't have. All of the folks in this history don't know what we know. Because hindsight is 2020. 
We know how this ends. And in fact, it is essential for us to know this secret, to understand that Ahithophel's plan, though strategically better, did not find favor in Absalom's heart or in the agreement of the body of elders and leaders who were in on the two plans. Remember, Hushai, David's friend. Remember the title, Friend of David? David's friend has information and a goal. Do you remember Hushai's holy defiance? That because of his love for the true God, he was sent by the true king to infiltrate the council room where it happens in order to divide, in order to poke holes, in order to understand the plans and possibilities and wherever possible to upend them. Well, we know the hidden secret. We know what no one in this story knows. That Absalom's rebellion is doomed. It's doomed to failure. And it will be a costly rebellion for many. But we also know, because we're in on the secret, we know exactly what I said last week. That the hidden sovereignty of God is still unfolding in the daily providences of God. I'll give you that one more time as we wake up and warm up. The hidden sovereignty of God is still unfolding in the daily providences of God. As we come to this story, we know the secret. The rebellion is doomed to fail, as all rebellions against God are doomed to fail. Listen to verse 14 and remember the secret. For Yahweh had ordained to defeat, listen to what he calls it, the good counsel of Ahithophel, so that Yahweh might bring harm Upon Absalom. In other words, Hushai's counsel, though inferior strategically, will win the day in the unfolding providence of God quelling the rebellion that Absalom has begun by bringing harm to the plan and the man. Today we're going to see the plan. Soon we're going to see the man. But you know the secret. The rebellion is doomed. Hushai's counsel won. And nobody knows it. Ready? Let's go. Verse 15. Hushai says to Zadok and Abiathar the priests. Remember, this is the spy network that David set up. In his hasty self-exile, he ordered Hushai to stay in the king's council, and he ordered the priests to remain, that Yahweh would be glorified and that information could be passed, thus glorifying God. So the spy network was set up on the run. 
hastily, but we are going to discover today very effectively. So Hushai says to the father priests, not that priests are fathers, but that these priests, these two men, have sons, and these sons will be the messengers. So Hushai brings the info, the intelligence, if you want to put this in spy novel terms, give the intelligence to the fathers that the sons could carry it out. So this is what Hushai counseled. Verse 15, thus and so, be more vague. Thus and so did Abiathar, no, excuse me, thus and so did Ahithophel counsel Absalom and the elders of Israel. And thus and so have I counseled. So because Hushai doesn't know the outcome, he's got to pass on the two plans that he knows. One, the plan that was divulged to him that was Ahithophel's plan, and the one he created, slowing everything down, halting it until Absalom could be at the center of it. Do you remember the narcissism of Absalom? It will be his undoing. His vanity will cost him his life in trying to be king and in the way he attempts to rule. So the spy network is in full effect. Hushai gave David's messengers both plans. He does so because he doesn't know which will be followed. But we get a hint at his expectation in the next verse. He gives them both plans and then he gives them counsel based only on Ahithophel's plan. Watch how this unfolds. Verse 16, now therefore send quickly and tell David, quote, do not stay tonight at the fords of the wilderness. Why? Because Ahithophel is going to grab several thousand soldiers and hunt you down and kill you tonight, thus ending your reign and thus establishing Absalom's forever. This was Ahithophel's plan. So don't stay tonight in the wilderness by those forms. What you have to do, he says, is pass over the waters, lest the king and all the people who are with the king be swallowed up. In other words, two things. One, Hushai doesn't believe that Ahithophel is only going to kill David. He's not just going to assassinate David. This is how coups work. You take out the head and you take out all the lieutenants. Why? So there's no one left with loyalty against you. So what he's saying is, David, you have to get out of there. And in fact, unless you take everybody, you're all in jeopardy. Hushai doesn't believe that Ahithophel will stop at David. In other words... I know you're weary. I know you're tired. I know this is chaotic and angering and scary, but you have to keep going into exile. It's your only hope. You have to keep going. Otherwise, metaphorically, you all get swallowed up. How many of you look forward to being swallowed up? Any takers? Yeah, me neither. Clearly, they have to keep going. So here's the message 
that came from Hushai to the dads, now to be given to the sons. So how do we get the information to the sons? Well, verse 17. Jonathan and Ahimaaz were waiting at Enrogel. And a female servant was to go and tell them, and they were to go and tell King David, for they were not to be seen entering the city. So in other words, there's nothing noticeable about a slave girl going to fetch water at any point in time in the day. So it doesn't really matter if the info comes in the morning or midday, in the afternoon, or even at night. All she has to do is go to the spring to get water. That's easy. But also, in the same way that the water cooler at work used to be a, a festival for gossip, yes? If you, I know, kids, we had to go to a place, and it's called the office. I know that you won't be doing this most of the rest of your life. Sorry about that. But you would go and you would talk to your coworkers. And whatever the day's gossip, whatever the info was, it would be disseminated. Why? Because it's completely innocuous to go and get water. It's completely innocuous to go to the coffee break room, pour a cup, and chat with your colleagues while you're there. Well, that's been true for 3,000 years. So that was the plan. The two guys would go meet outside the town at the spring. And she, having the information, would go to the spring and give it to them, and then they could run back and give it to David. This is the plan. So Zadok and Abiathar's sons are a short distance south of Jerusalem. And it should have worked. But the story doesn't end there. The story gets kind of exciting. In fact, verses 18 and 19 lie at the center of this narrative. They are, pun intended, the lowest point of this story. Because they are going to have to hide. Because they're waiting at the spring in Enrogel. In and a female servant was supposed to come to them... And then they could go and tell David, but verse 18, a young man saw them and told Absalom. In other words, and I love reading commentaries because they use words like this, the cronies were everywhere. Absalom had cronies everywhere. So what this means is that the spies have been exposed. Now, in intelligence gathering, I won't ask you to raise hands, but if you've ever worked at gathering intelligence, hiddenness is part of the job description, right? Not declaring your intentions, misdirection, concealment. These are necessary tricks of the trade, tools in your belt. But they got found out. The crony saw them and reported back. And that's important for us. It's important for us because it raises the tension. How do you respond as a spy when your cover is blown? 
No Jason Bourne fans here? What do you do? You run. You flee. You hide and regroup. In modern day movies, you look for a safe house. Apparently, we have houses and apartments all over the world that we didn't even know were sovereign U.S. soil, potentially. You get the point? You get the point? They have to flee. They have to run and hide. If your identity has been exposed, you must run and hide. So, verse 18, that's what they did. They ran away, slowly walking. No, quickly. And they came to the house of a man at Baharim who had a well in his courtyard. And what do they do? They hide in the well. Spoiler alert, rings of power. Any rings of power fans here? I got one at least. Several of you, I love it. Do you remember the scene where the teenage boy has to hide? Where does he hide? Tolkien draws from the great resources of Holy Scripture. The boy has to hide in the well. And it's not the first time somebody had that thought. Apparently, it's been a trick of the trade in the spy networks for 3,000 years or more. So they climb down into a well. Isn't it so easy to read that? Are wells known for their hand-holding positions? Are wells known for the staircase that you can leisurely wind your way down? Have you thought for even a minute of your life the terror that they must be feeling? What's the punishment if they're caught? They're hanged as traitors. They're executed. So their hiding in this well is the only means of life. And it is not an easy or comforting place to be. They may be safe only as long as they remain unseen. You with me? The cronies are everywhere, but apparently David has someone loyal with a courtyard, and that courtyard has enough land to have its own well, and it's deep enough for two boys, young men, to climb down and tread water, cling to the rocks and mud. Five minutes? 20 minutes? Two hours? 10 hours? Do we know? We don't. But here's the thing. What they are experiencing in actual life and history, many of us have or will experience metaphorically. Have you ever found yourself in the darkness of a well that you climbed into yourself? Have you ever found yourself 
wondering if there's any way out of where you are. Have you ever been in the grip of sorrow and despair to the degree that you were unsure if life was worth living anymore? This story gives us the tiniest glimpse in the providence of God that allows us to see the sovereignty of God in what is happening. So the promise of this text is that you are never alone in the wells you find yourself in. When you are covered in darkness, did you hear the description? They don't just climb down the well, but a tarp gets thrown over it. And then the props get put in place, as if it's an old well with no water. And it's covered with grain. It's more useful as a table in the courtyard than as a well to draw water from. Some of you feel like your lives are that way. But you're not alone. The Lord sees you, knows you has made provision for you. This is one of the deep truths of the Christian faith. Are you ready? God makes provision before you are in need. Provision before you are in need. Whether you are in holy defiance, clinging to a well against the armies of God that are seeking to destroy you, and the armies of God in the invisible realm are seeking to destroy you. The devil himself has a horrible plan for your life. But God doesn't. He's got a glorious one. Filled with his provision, filled, filled with secrets that are revealed to you in time, in real time. These are not just theoretical myths. They're history. They're history that give us a glimpse of what God is really about. His real character put into real action in the real needs of his people. In these holy moments, as if any moment for him is unholy. Every moment, every well, every need, every darkness, every exposure, every light, his to unveil, his to reveal. He provides for you before you have need. They are provided for. There's a well to find, a house to go to, a man who's in charge, who's loyal to King David and loves the true and living God. All of these things are true before they are in need. And in that need, they wait. Any fans of waiting in the room? No? 
hate waiting. This is one of the things that makes travel hard at times. You're constantly hurrying up to wait. Hurry up, wait. Hurry up, wait. Well, they're hurrying away. They're running for their lives. They're clinging to the walls of a well or treading water in that well for a long time. But is it forever? Is light going to break in when the tarp is taken away? Are they going to be able to crawl out of the wells that they crawled into? Are they going to be able to scale these walls and live? Yeah, because we know the secret. We know the secret has to get to David. We know that the intelligence network, though fragile, will be effective. When Absalom's servants come, they ask a woman at the house, where are the boys? Where are the spies? Where are the bad guys? Remember, the bad guys think they're the good guys in this. So they want to know where Ahimez and Jonathan are. And the woman simply says, they went that way. They went over the brook, over the water. They went over the brook of water. Now, there might be some fun wordplay here with like they're hovering over water or they're like, right, like they're in a well. But like the author doesn't spend any time here in moral quandary. So let's not us, okay? We're just going to keep going. She says what she says. It's a clear deception, right? They've gone over the brook. It is a clear and by God's grace, convincing deception. And the narrator offers no apology, so neither will I. Verse 21, the men came out of the well. Somebody say amen. The men came out of the well. The darkness gets taken away. The danger removed because of God's provision, set up in advance and lived out in real time. So what do they do? The spies are safe. They're safe to carry their secret intelligence to King David. And they do it successfully. Praise God. Praise God. Your salvation is part of this story. As they cling to the walls of the well, so too your salvation hangs in the balance. How many times have you read the scripture with that at the forefront of your thinking? That if this doesn't turn out right, there's no son of David to come. And all of us become very apathetic theologians at times. We're like, yeah, but he was always going to come. So this was always going to work out. We know the secret. Ha ha, Jesus, death, cross, got it. Really? Maybe that's a part of the calloused heart that we need scraped off of us. Our theology of God's sovereignty is designed to bring comfort in real time. 
not apathy in intellectual discussion. They successfully get the information to David. They say to David, verse 21, Arise and go quickly over the water, for thus and so has Ahithophel counseled against you. What's missing? Hushai's plan. Remember, there's two plans. There's two plans. And they're passing on one plan. So Hushai must have given the impression that he didn't believe that his argument, his advice would be kept. So in other words, run, 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 swim, climb, drag, carry, run. Ahithophel's got an army and they are closing in on you tonight. So what does David do? Verse 22. He forms a council. They argue, but no, he runs. <laughs> the wisdom of Hushai is run. The spy network says run. These are the chess pieces coming to kill the king. Go to a different chessboard. Run. Give yourself the time that Ahithophel won't give you. Run. And they do. In fact, they work hard the whole night that they are on the other side of the waters by when? By daybreak. The night is pushed away but David and all of those with David have crossed the Jordan at night in a wet season. This is no small feat. You have no boat, no car, no amphibious means by which you and your family and your possessions must cross the James River tonight. Do you and all your belongings and all your people make it across? One night. No time to make a raft. No time to build an engine. Nothing. They were urgent in their, my word, escape. Escape from a danger that was compelling, but not present. Don't miss this. When we only give one counsel out of two, we might be setting up everyone to move quickly when they don't have to. To run when they could rest. We're Americans, we don't really like rest. That's not true. We love rest. We just don't do it. You're welcome. David arose and ran, and the king is safe, and the people are safe. End scene. Whew. Yay, spy network. Improvised intelligence. It worked. 
Can you believe it worked? Now, hang on. This whole thing depended on an old well still functioning enough that they could hide in it undiscovered. It's fragile enough that all of the message was given to a young servant girl. It's fragile enough that two priests got exposed by delivering a message to their sons. It's fragile. Your salvation is in this moment. It's fragile. But it's never hopeless. It's at risk, but it's never defeated. You get this? That's the glimpse from Yahweh's team's viewpoint. But now we find ourselves gazing upon and glimpsing at the supreme strategist of their day. Remember, what Ahithophel says is treated as oracles from God. You remember that? He was no prophet, but his wisdom was uber sound. Oracles from God. And he knew the second his counsel was no longer acted upon. He saw the end game from the beginning. If we don't kill David now, we never will. And if we never kill him, Absalom's vanity will lead to his destruction. And when Absalom falls, I'm his chief advisor, I fall. Is it pleasant to fall in rebellion or coup, do they say, oh, well, we kind of see your side. <laughs> right? Drawn and quartered. Hanged from the highest. Ask Haman. Right? In the story of Esther. You build hallows in the center of town as large as you possibly can so that everyone sees what rebellion against the king looks like and ends in doom. Yes? Ahithophel knows from this moment that he will end in doom, that this rebellion will fail. Listen to verse 23. When Ahithophel saw that his counsel was not obeyed, not followed. He saddled his donkey and he went off home to his own city. He set his house in order and hanged himself. And he died and was buried in the tomb of his father. Wow. It's so dispassionate, right? You have this epic spy network story juxtaposed to the tightest, simplest, most passionless presentation. He went home, he put his affairs in order, and he committed suicide. They buried his body with his dad's. End. Ahithophel died the way he lived, methodically, efficiently. Ahithophel was calculated, he was deliberate, 
He was a supreme strategist. And because he saw Absalom's folly, he saw the end game from the beginning, and he knew what we know, the secret that we have, is that Absalom's rebellion would fail and that he would be justly executed as a traitor. In his pride. Is this a proud guy? Let's be honest with each other for a second. Is this a proud guy? If you speak oracles of God as the people around you say, would that go to your head? Yes! He's going to go out on his terms. He's going to go out on his own terms. In rebellion against God. He continues his rebellion all the way through to his death. It's the opposite of Jesus. Jesus continued his obedience all the way through his death. Suicide? Hey, kids. Suicide is rebellion against God. Because you are literally and physically defaming something God sees as infinitely valuable. You are denying him the testimony of your image made in his image in the world that he created. And for the believer, please hear me, please hear me. For the believer, there's nothing you have ever done. There's nothing you've ever done in the whole of your life that can't wait five more minutes and a cry for help. You've never done something so dark, so evil, that the blood of Christ doesn't wash it away. You've never done or thought anything so significant, so severe, that it's worth ending your life on your own terms. How evil is that as a concept? Don't die. Please do not carry the rebellion of Ahithophel in your heart as an option. It's not an option. It's an evil outcome. You with me? Every human Life has infinite dignity. It has infinite value. And it is placed squarely in the providences of God's sovereign rule. And there's no darkness so thick that, that light won't beat it back. There's no evil done that Christ has not conquered. There's no separation so significant that Christ can't bridge the way from wherever you are to wherever he is. Tell your friends, tell your loved ones, scream it from the rooftops. Your life is not your own to do whatever you want with. Your life is his. He purchased it at the greatest personal cost.
to give you what you don't deserve. And you know what? As bad as you might think you are in any given moment, as bad as you might see your circumstances are in any given moment, they are not greater than God. They are not dark enough that light doesn't penetrate. They are not so overwhelming you can't come back from it. There is no thing, love, circumstance, anything in all of creation that can separate you from the love of God in Christ. Do you believe this? Do you believe this? Do we live and think that this is true? By God's grace, we do. Do not copy Ahithophel's calculated despair. Repent from whatever sin is yours and expose it. Expose it so that you are no longer mastered by it. And to bring that exposure to the cross of Christ, it is bloody enough for you to bathe in. It is powerful enough for you to be clean in. Look to Christ and live. So what's the theological witness of this text? Two things. First, the witness here is simple. Rebellion against Yahweh ends in doom. Yahweh watches over his people. All his enemies are defeated. Yahweh stands guard over his kingdom, and he has already made a way out. Second, the witness here is difficult. It's difficult because sovereignty is most often hidden. But providence gives us a glimpse of God's sovereignty by bringing the Lord's will, his priorities, his purposes, and so much more out in the open where his sovereignty can be seen and felt by the ones who desperately need it. And his sovereignty, as glimpsed through his providences, is to be experienced by his people unto life and joy and by his enemies unto despair and death. Are you an enemy of God this morning? If you are, repent and believe that Christ has done all that is necessary to save, redeem, cleanse, comfort, and so much more. In other words, God may have his secrets. Deuteronomy 29, 29 certainly says he does. But some of those secrets are sweet. And they're revealed in his perfect timing. Some are essential. They'll never be revealed. But take heart, loved ones. None of God's secrets are toxic. He is and always will be trustworthy. Amen? Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, as we gather here, be light in the darkness of our hearts and thoughts. As we gather here this morning, be with us in such a way and to such a degree that we would know your comfort and your cleansing power. God, be with us today that we would value all the more human life in all its forms, from the womb to the tomb, from birth to natural death. Oh God, from conception to glory, 
may we value what you value. Human life made in your image, O God. May we trust that doom comes for all those who rebel against you. And may we trust that in Christ we are free from all conviction of guilt. May we live for your glory and the world's benefit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people agree.